So welcome to another Impact Sessions podcast with me, Nick Bramley. Um, I've got a controversy title session this day, this one. It's called, If You've Got a Pension, Listen to or Watch This Podcast. And if you do listen or watch, you'll find out why. Now, my guest today is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's also a, a well-known um, member of the West Yorkshire property and commercial property sector. Uh, it's John Anderson. He's head of the Leeds office and director of building consultancy at Lambert Smith Hampton. And he's going to explain to us as we go through why if you've got a pension, you definitely need to be listening to this. Okay, so without further ado, welcome, John. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And thanks for the opportunity to join your Impact Sessions podcast. I've seen them growing over the last um, year or so. So keen and uh, pleased to be part of one. Excellent. Uh, for those that don't know, Lambert Smithampton, a commercial, commercial property business. Currently, we've got offices everywhere, and we'll come back to that in a, in a few minutes when we talk about the impact that the current situation is having on offices. But um, for now, let's just say we have offices everywhere. Um, what we do really is we help clients with commercial property to get the most out of their assets, whether that's advising them prior to a purchase or advising them on occupation or even disposal and redevelopment. So we, we cover the whole spectrum of commercial property. Now, for me personally, I, I've been at LSH seven years, head of the office in Leeds for the last six. And what attracted me to the role in the first place or the career really is the, the diversity, the unpredictability and variety. No two days are the same. And you work in a people business with an energized and enthused team. It's part of the job that I love, just the interaction and the, uh, the support you get from having a committed team. I do like the idea that you like unpredictability because I think 2020 has probably extended that beyond any measure <laughs> that you probably expected ever, John, hasn't it? <clears throat> yeah, I think even for those that, that do like a little bit of um, chaos, this has been uh, challenging to, uh, to say the least. So I'm sure we're going to come on to that as we, as we carry on. I think we are. I think um, I've provo provocatively entitled the episode, really, I think, because I think people would just say commercial property, nothing to do with me in a lot of cases, if the listeners are they're mm. not involved in that. But the reality is, um, you know, if you're a, a property uh, a business, you're going to probably have investment from all the big major pension funds, aren't you? And every major pension fund has always fallen in love with and loved commercial property. So the question I've got for you really as a starting point is, are pension fund investors still in love with commercial property, John? Yeah, I, I think they are, and they always will be. I think your property has long been a safe place for investment, whether it's residential or commercial. That's not gonna change. But obviously what's happened now and was what happened in the past in, in other periods of economic turmoil is things go a little bit quiet while people take check, they sort of take a, a sense check on what, what's the right direction for their investment. But that old adage of location, location, location applies to residential, it also applies to commercial, but also within commercial, you've got to look a bit more at sectors. The residential is a sector, whereas commercial property covers a whole myriad of sectors. And those go through cyclical change. That's what's happening at the moment. That's what happened 
when Brexit was first a thing, it's what happened 10 years ago in the, in the financial crisis and at all other periods of recession, different sectors are impacted in different ways. I think with this one, which is truly global, whereas the financial crisis was more just sort of the developed world and the, the commercial world, this, this pandemic has, hasn't left any stone unturned and, and it will have a, a deep reaching impact on, on all aspects of life and commercial property is no different. But investors will still seek out opportunities in, in periods like this. There, with any crisis, there's always opportunity and, and that's not to sound sort of um, uh, you're, well, you're trying to take opportunity of a poor situation. Mercenary was the word I was searching for there. It's not to try and sound mercenary at all. It, there is always opportunity for some. Um, and I know we'll come on to that in, in other in other discussions later, I'm sure. But you know, you've got at one end of the scale, commercial property being a safe haven, but some elements of it are more attractive than others, let's say, to sort of round up you know, the answer to that question. Hmm. Okay. So in terms of the overall impact of, of COVID, certainly in the UK, um, one of the things is about confidence, isn't it? You know, confidence in the sector, confidence in property, hmm. confidence in sort of retail or office space or that kind of thing. What's, what's your view? And, and, and perhaps I should say, you know, I'm asking John for his personal views, maybe not necessarily those of Lamont Smith Hampton, but I'm sure the two sort of go together. I just want to give you that get out of jail card in case, you know, you say something you shouldn't. But, uh, you know, yeah. what, what what's your view on <clears throat> no, confidence in, in commercial property in general? You're coming back and the fact that it will always be worth a look. Yeah, and, and again, sort of touching on <clears throat> some of the points I just mentioned there, commercial property is going to be a safe place for investors going forward, as it has been going back, you know, going back over recent years. But at the moment, they've just got to take stock a little bit. They've got to consider which areas have got the opportunity. And, and yes, there's growth in certain sectors, there's suppression in others, but it could be that the better opportunities are in those areas where there are a lot of changes. Mm. If you take the logistics market, for example, you know, the whole explosion of online retail has caused clients of ours to try and find new properties for distribution warehouses, that last, last mile of delivery and the main, you know, the main hubs of distribution, it, it's caused them to go absolutely crazy. They're, they're entering into 10 new leases a week all over the country. And they're massive. These, Just to meet these, the demand. these distribution centres are massive as well, aren't they? You know, and they're usually in a an out of town mm. area for good access to the roads, road networks, and things. Exactly. So that, yeah. that's, that's an interesting switch, I guess. You know, online retail, as you say, has exploded. Probably. Um, well, very much at the detriment of, um, of of the high street retail, but it's not just mm. because of online. High street's been badly damaged by lockdowns and you know no footfall yeah. and all that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to touch on hospitality and retailers too, and I know they're very separate sectors, but to me, they've been under really immense pressure because of lockdown mm. restrictions. You know, they really haven't been allowed to open. I, I was watching an, uh, an article on the TV this week and and, 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 a, and, a, and a bar in Sheffield had said they've been open, they've been closed 22 weeks of the year. And that was, you know, that I mean, it's half a year gone, isn't it really? So in terms of retail and hospitality then, is there any crumb of comfort for them, anything happening around those sectors that people can 
stick in there and and, and think about you know 2021 will we'll get better obviously we're all hoping of, of vaccines and stuff anyway but from a property point of view is there anything that, that's happening around those sectors support from the government or whatever it might be that, that gives people a crumb of comfort Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and those are two of the most hardest hit sectors. You know, we were just talking then about logistics being a boom and, and not necessarily the best place to invest in because you're going to pay a high premium for anything in the logistics sector at the moment because it's, it is booming. Mm. So do you, do your smart investors, your, your pension fund investors look at some of those sectors that are struggling like retail predominantly and, investing in those to make the most of take advantage of the uptick, which is inevitably going to come with the redevelopment and the regeneration of, of retail. Mm. And the government is extremely aware and conscious that the high street is no longer what it used to be like. You know, you and I all remember high streets, bustling corner shops, local retailers before the emergence of supermarkets. The, the high street was a, a busy place. The supermarkets came along, your Tesco, your Sainsbury's, your Asda's and the like, and that changed the scope of the high street. Then it evolved, it recovered, it repurposed itself. And then you, online came like a big bang and, and you know, shortly after out of town retail. All those things have, have meant retailers have to be very, very adaptive, very responsive, re, reinvent itself, which it's done pretty well, I think. I think. You know, it isn't just COVID that's caused retail to to slide to the position it's in at the moment with, you know, closures of places like Debenhams and the Arcadia Group recently. You know, those are devastating blows. But that's been on the cards for a lot longer than COVID's been around. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Arcadia, Arcadia, from what I understand, and I'm not a, you know, a, a property expert or a financial analyst of any sort, but Arcadia were sort of accused of not, evolving and developing their offer so it was always you come into the shop or if you, mm. if you don't we really haven't got the same offer and and the likes of the big sort of booms and amazons were just their market share so it probably was a matter of time and covid just tipped them over the edge haven't they? which is like you say it's devastating to the high street because these are usually quite big properties as well aren't they which oh yeah yeah look terrible when they're empty and from an aesthetics point of view, but also they're hard to fill because somebody else maybe doesn't want the whole space. So mm. looking at those kind of things, I know you're, you're pretty adept as a business at looking at your know, change of use and, and, and you know, flexibility mm. around what could be done. What have you seen, if anything, that, that's quite impressive? You know, when, when you see somewhere that looks like it's going to be a, you know, a bit of an eyesore, it's been empty, it's, 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 it's looking to be desolate and all mm. that, and suddenly it's transformed. What, what have you seen, John, that you think is, you know, there, there's a bit of a blueprint or something could happen? Yeah, no, it, and it's everywhere, isn't it? it? It's in the small towns, it's in the suburbs, it's in the larger towns and cities. There's vacant shops, there's vacant retail outlets, and something has to change. You can't expect some of these large department stores to, to find a new occupier that they just won't they're, they're not out there especially at the moment so yeah, the government initiatives to repurpose the high street to to regenerate the high street is, is a, a very welcome one mm. just how they're going to do it is very difficult there's all sorts of thoughts around do you offer you know mixed uses so you, you try and introduce more restaurants and more leisure um and some more residential all of those come with challenges mm. And all of them are going to come with, with difficulties to actually get 
the investment to do the redevelopment. But one thing for certain, we, we can't leave the high street to be mothballed and disappear and the tumbleweed start blowing around on the, uh, on the shopping malls that, you know, of what we've seen over the last 20, 30 years. It needs to be repositioned very carefully. There's, there's lots of new, I've seen bits of legislation where they're making change of use easier, uh, or certainly they're making sort of planning uh, right, less, yeah. less restrictive. Um, so forgetting the big investors, forgetting the big sort of pension investors, if you are um, a business owner, maybe a small business owner, are there some opportunities there to, you know, for example, pop-up shops or pop-up restaurants or, you know, are there some good opportunities out there in a sector that's that is currently you know really struggling would you say that's that's worth them looking at yeah absolutely and, and like i briefly mentioned earlier those investors that are, are willing to take a bit of a risk you know with risk comes to options and you either risk and fail massively or you risk and reward massively the, yeah. the more risk you take the, the more extreme the outcome usually mm. and i i personally think it's still in an early stage as to where the high street is going to end up, how much um, you can expect to see redevelopment in a, in a, it's going to have to be fairly major. Mm. You know, you think of some of the sort of out of town or sort of the suburban town um, high streets that have had, you know, vacant units, charity shops, you know, low, low attraction type destinations, the high street, Mm. brands have, have moved away long ago but those those sorts of places are going to be really tough to to visualize coming out of this successfully quickly it's going to take time but you know it's got to happen so investing in those areas will bring a return it's probably a more risky and longer term investment mm. okay i mean i think in terms of uh, like you say something's got to be done but it's interesting that you don't feel as though we're at the destination of where the high street's going to end up yet. There's there's more to come before we settle into what going upwards looks like. I guess is that is that your is that your view that there's, there's still mm. a bit more shaking yeah. to, to, of the tree to happen then. I, I think so. Yeah, uh, we as a business LFH are involved in talking to local authorities and those that own the the shopping malls in town centres that are fifty percent vacant. We're we're talking to those owners, occupiers, landlords, and local authorities to, to help them come up with the ideas and come up with the strategies that mm. there isn't, it's not an overnight fix. It's going to take years to, to redevelop those areas, but there is, there is opportunity definitely in those locations. I think there's a lot of initiatives that you see online and I'm not on, on Facebook, uh, but I'm on LinkedIn and, and other sort of media and this buy local, support your local businesses and things. They, they always seem to me to be very worthy, but they don't seem to have the same traction because you still see the car park mm. at Tesco and Sainsbury's full to the ginnels when the you know when when, when they're mm. open. Um, is is that something we should be encouraging more of? Do you think to to help that local, the local shops and, and buy locally? It just seems to it just seems to be worthy, but not it doesn't have a groundswell to me. I don't, mm. I don't know what to do about that really. Yeah. No. I I know what you're talking about. And I think one good thing that's come out of working from home, which I know we're going to cover in a, mm. in a moment or two, is that people have been, been more loyal to their local um, independence because they've been at home, they've gone out for a walk at lunchtime or they've gone out for a walk in the morning, they've mm. 
gone to the local coffee shop and, the, and they've used the local facilities. There's there's been a an uptick in the uh, in the footfall in those local high streets because of it. But I think that's temporary. I think mean, we'll come on to that when we we cover the working from home. I'll tell you what. Why, why, I think it. Why do we do Why do we do the working from home bit now? Because my view <clears throat> on the working from home piece is. Um, it's changed the culture of a lot of businesses who I know full well were saying before lockdown that they don't like their staff working from home. They don't think it's productive. You know, you can't be productive. We don't encourage it. You're not doing that. Now through no choice of their own, they've had to certainly in the first lockdown where it was, you know, if you, if you can work from home, you have to. Um, good or bad thing, do you think, in terms of that flip to... Actually, I've enjoyed working from home. I could probably do a hot desk at work if I need to. Maybe I don't need to go in anymore and do virtual meetings. What's your view on, on the working from home culture, John? Because you do, you do it, obviously, but you also go into the office, don't you? Mm. Yeah, before all of this was even a thing, I would work from home once or twice a month mm. because I'd got a piece of work I needed to do and I could get my head down and get it done. Yeah. But you, there was always a sense you were... Even you know, even I would feel a little bit guilty that I was working from home. <laughs> did you? And there was always the, that stigma. The, hang on, John. Did you get the inverted commas that people used to put up to you when they go, "You're working from home" with the two sort of, uh, as if it was yeah. like, "We know you're not." Was that was that kind of what you experienced then? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I and I um, judged myself as a fairly honest person, and I, and I would never dream of going and playing golf when I should be working from home or yeah. going going shopping or whatever. Even in the early days of lockdown one, when we were forced to work from home, I think everybody, you know, I certainly was feeling so obliged to put the hours in, to turn the work over, to, to sort yeah. of prove you, yourself, because everybody's position was, you know, vulnerable. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, our colleagues had been furloughed and there was all sorts of uncertainty going forward. So you felt you've got to put the hours in. But that, that was almost because you had to. And it led to a sense of feeling drained at the end of a week because you'd spent 10 hours or more sat in front of the screen all day. And oh, yes, yeah. you'd been incredibly productive and the business was rubbing its hands together because you were getting through more work than you might have done if you were in the office and having a chat about the football or having a bit of a natter about whatever. But yeah. it, was, it wasn't sustainable. And so I'm, I'm now of the opinion that working from home is is a viable alternative that businesses trust and believe that people can credibly work from home and be productive mm. going forward. But the thought of doing that permanently just scares the life out of me. And, and as time's moved on, people have started to see the negative impact of working from home, which is, you know, it's been well documented, well talked about and, and absolutely true that you, you can't get the same out of your team when you're talking to them virtually, you can't no. get the same. Oh, and, also, and also, and also, and also, John, your clients as well. You know, you can if you if you're going to assess a property, you can't reassess really it virtually as well as you can going and you know opening doors, looking in places, you know, turning things over, etc. Um, and I think that's why we were productive at the start because you weren't doing the stuff that you would have normally done. You weren't driving for an hour to go to a meeting to have a meeting to drive back. So those two hours of driving were replaced. Mm -hmm. Two hours of sitting in front of the laptop and, and banging out work, weren't they? So that's why it was incredibly draining because it's yeah, not completely. It normal, was it? it? Wasn't normal. Yeah. So, what do you no. reckon the long-term implications are, John? For that, you know, are we? 
are we going to see organisations who've got you know big office spaces reducing that and, and maybe you know rotating mm-hmm. when staff want to come in or you know what's the impact because you see loads and loads of cranes everywhere mm-hmm. you go to Leeds, you know, major cities and, and a lot of that speculative building for office space is that going to stop for a little while while people think oh hang on a minute we might not need all this or not yeah uh, i think you make a couple of good points there i think the office space as it stands at the moment right at the beginning of all this when everyone was working from home, there were businesses, and we were one of them, we were saying, crikey, we've got this number of offices. Do we need any? <laughs> yeah, they were considering options from zero offices to the whole of the portfolio they've currently got, mm. or somewhere in between. And that was fine, because that's what people were doing. Everyone was at home. But as we've moved through, and like we just said, people's mindsets have changed massively, and the well-being, you know, the, the interaction, the, the, the human factor is impossible talking to clients is, is, is fine over Zoom, but it's so much better talking to anybody in person. Mm. I think the offices are going to be reshaped slightly, but it's nowhere near as drastic as people were thinking back in March and April when um, you know, we were considering crazy options like getting rid of all of your offices. I mean, office costs are any business's second highest after their staff, and it, yeah. it's a big lump on the P&L, but it's an essential place to collaborate to work from to spar with you know and just get a buzz off people and well you're you're you can't a, do that when you're all sat in your sat in your jammers and sat on whatever with bad hair days can you i mean you're you're a gregarious and, and outgoing sort of person as indeed i am and the human contact bit is important and it's it, and it's i don't even want to use the mental health car it's more well-being it's not necessarily you know you're not going to suffer from mental health issues but you are going to suffer some well-being issues aren't you for not being involved in that kind of level of yeah. of, of engagement so the question i've got for you is how have you managed your team remotely given that you're, you're head of the leads office mm. and how have they responded to the challenges that they've had this year you know have you have you had to be quite creative about how you you communicate yeah, yeah, it's been a challenge from all angles, I think, because you never know whether you're overdoing it or whether you're underdoing it. Or I'm talking about virtual gatherings, obviously, mm. on, the, on the dreaded Zoom. And I saw your I saw your LinkedIn post last week where you've taken copyright to the Zoom arse. And, and, hashtag and hashtag Zoom arse, hashtag Zoom arse, um, which apparently you can't copyright the hashtag, which is somebody said. But that particular day, John, I had literally done back to back to back to back Zooms, meetings, webinars, etc. And I've got a significant amount of padding on my backside. And even then, by the end of the day, I was thinking, wow. And all I did for a bit of fun on a Friday night was posted a picture of a cushion that said, Dad's arse here. And a little a, a layout of my a layout of my day saying I've been back to back. Is there such a thing as Zoom us? Three and a half thousand people viewed that post. I had loads of comments. And it's like, but you didn't get Zoom us when you worked in the office because you you go and have a coffee or you'd have a meeting with somebody, you'd no. walk around, wouldn't you? And it's no, yeah, isn't it? Totally. And then look at these. You oh wow. Hang on, hang yeah. on. <laughs> Are those glasses for those who are watching, uh, listening rather than watching? Are your glasses a new phenomenon for John Anderson then? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I had I had a pair, but never wore them before. But sitting in front of the screen for so long, and like you just said, when you're in the office, you get off your backside. When you talk to somebody, you you turn and look to them. Yeah. When you're talking to somebody on Zoom, you're 
still staring at the screen. My eyes have got worse in the last eight months. <laughs> That's an age thing. Where I, wear, I wear those bad boys nearly all the time. That's an age thing, <laughs> isn't it? To be fair. Yeah, I have turned 50 as well. So no. <laughs> it, comes, it comes to us all. It comes to us all. But you're right, though, because <laughs> as, a, as a different dynamic. So what have your team been up to then in terms of, have they been trying to do things? Have you have you been in the office and done social distance? Yeah. Things actually oh, completely, yeah, yeah. What have you done? Yeah, back back in um, early June, I think it was when yeah we were coming out of lockdown one and things were starting to open up again. Uh, we got the office ready, yeah, the signs everywhere, one way systems, mm. more sanitizer, the you can squirt it, whatever, at, and 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 everybody was encouraged to come back in, but there was still a massive reluctance then. I think people were still quite enjoying the freedom of working from home. They're enjoying not spending money on commuting, not spending time on commuting. And it, and it was sunny outside and it was, you know, it, it was quite nice working from home. Yeah. Some people were enjoying seeing more of the family. Some people yeah. were enjoying, you know, just having a bit of flexibility, like you, like you just mentioned that that flexibility of the workspace is here to stay now. We're, We've proved we can do it. And I, I've always felt and, and sort of had the mantra of you trust somebody until they give you a reason that you shouldn't trust them. Mm. So you should trust your teams to carry on working from home. You should encourage them to come back into the office for all of the good stuff that we just talked about. But mm. you'll soon see if somebody's working from home in the old adage and swinging the lead because they'll just, especially in a business like ours where people are, you know, they generate fees, they generate revenue through the work they do. And and if you're not accountable, it, it's blatantly obvious. So, you know, people know that and yeah. the vast majority will, will treat it with respect and they'll they'll come into the office. Because I think we did a little survey back in, in, um, in the first few months around the Leeds office. How many of you would think you're going to use the office once a week, once a month, once every other week? Yeah. And there was only about... 20% of people said they'd use it more than once a week. You know, it was crazy. Do that survey now. I think it'd be flipped on its head. People will work from home once or twice a week. I, I think it's because it's winter, it's darker, it's less, you know, if you finished at five o'clock in June and the sun had been shining all day, you finished at five o'clock, you, you had the whole evening ahead of you. So the working from home bit, mm. the lack of commute was, was seen as something... Of, of that nature, whereas now it's dark before you finish and you're not going to go out for a walk in the team in rain and things. So there is a different dynamic at different times of the year, I guess. So on that basis, yeah. um, going back to going back to um, sort of property um, yeah. and the whole sort of commercial impact of people working from home, etc. Um, there's mm. been a knock on, hasn't there, to the service industries who supply um, teas and coffees and, and sandwiches mm. and, and the things like that. Have you seen any, what the evidence has been in, in sort of Leeds where you work? I know you work across West Yorkshire. Has there been a, a lot of closures of the little independents who rely on that office, you know, staff on a road? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it's not just the little independents. There's a, a pret right next to our office, um, which, because I'm a bit lazy sometimes, I, I use now and again rather than going for a bit of a leg stretch around Leeds. And yeah. they, I, I didn't realise just how busy they were or whether these are good numbers or not but I was having a chat with the manager one quiet Tuesday when I was in there early in the summer they just reopened they were taking 400 quid a day previously they take 4,000 4,000 a day yeah so 10% but I'm assuming that the rents and the commercial rates haven't gone down by 90% though have they 
No, no. That's just unsustainable. So they kept open for a couple of weeks and then they said we're going to have to close until things loosen up again. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it has had a far-reaching impact with people not being in the city centres. Those trades, like you said, that, that thrive on the business population being in there Monday to Friday. Yeah. And that will come back as people start to come back. It's not going to get back to where it was before because I don't think everyone's going to be in the office from nine to five, five days a week. I think I think the other side of it is from an environmental point of view, there's been a really positive impact on you know carbon emissions and reductions on that basis. So I guess if you talk about smart money um, being in, well, actually you said the smart money is in the ones that are at the bottom, not the top, aren't you? So you said that probably the smart money is not going into pension uh, pension funds, going into the big sort of um, distribution logistics because they probably missed the boat. Same with I guess renewable energies and anything to do with that. That's going to be another another opportunity for, for, for investment, isn't it, in terms of working with organisations who, who look after the environment and the environmental aspects of, 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 uh, of what we do. So have you noticed on the commute in then? It, 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 the commute doesn't exist when you go in, does it, anymore? It's just no. quite... No, it, it's, it's got a bit busier over recent weeks and months. Going into the office in June, was just, you were lucky if you saw other vehicles at some, on some days, depending on the yeah. time, but you queuing into Leeds pre-COVID, you get it wrong, you can add 40 minutes, 50 minutes onto the journey. But yeah, yeah now that, that's gone, but it'll come back a bit. But I, I think, like we said a moment ago, people will flex their hours because they, they can get up at seven, switch their laptop on, do a couple of hours work, mm. take the kids to school if they, if they need to, whatever it is, they might have an appointment or you know, whatever it is in the morning, then go into the office at 10 o'clock. See a few people, meet a few clients, you know, um, do a few meetings face to face, and come back at three. Maybe maybe catch up on paperwork or Zoom at that stage. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we we were encouraging that um, before COVID. In, in January, we in the Leeds office, we trialled a flexing core hours, mm. so people were told, you know, we need to be able to contact you between certain hours, but if you want to start at ten and finish at half six that's absolutely fine yeah. as long as you're keeping your clients satisfied you're meeting their requirements and and you're available when we need you there is there is a there is a or has been certainly that nine to five mentality in in the uk for for years isn't it all trips in on the same trains all trips home on the same trains yeah. all driving at the same time and i think if anything good's come out of covid it has broken the back of that but um let, let's talk about some of the listeners who might be involved in either the owner building for their prop for their, for their business or they're in a, in, in a lease at the moment. Um, anything they can do or should be considering to manage the financial impact of that, their assets or their property portfolio. Some people might have two or three offices. They might have more than that. They might be in a lease that they're, they're tied into. You know, what, what, are the, what are the options that people could have to, to be a bit creative, John, do you reckon? Hmm. There's only one option, really. That's contact LSH. <laughs> well, that's the shortest yeah, answer. Ever. Seriously, <laughs> shortest answer ever. So, what, if you contact LSH, what would you do for them then? Yeah, I I always like to sit down with someone right at the start and listen to what their issues are. So just listen. Don't don't say anything. Don't say we've got this, we've got that. You need this. You need this. They don't. You don't know what they need until you listen. So you sit down, 
just be a sponge, just listen to all of their issues, all their concerns, what, what options have they got? So then you can start discussing those options with them. But if you go wading in there with the, here's LSH, this is what we do, we'll fix it for you. You're not building a relationship. You don't understand their requirements. You don't even know what you're fixing, do you, at that stage? No. So that's that, that's that's the issue. What I've always liked about LSH, and, and, and obviously I know you on a personal level, I've known you for a long time, is I do like that sort of relaxed professionalism. You know, it, it, it's about relationship building. The thing I'm going to miss this year, because I'm assuming you're not having it because I haven't had my invite, is your, <laughs> your LSH Christmas Christmas party, which I always look forward to. Clearly, you're not having it this year. If you are, I haven't got my invite. <laughs> I'm going to cut you off the podcast. But, um, you know, you are a you are a, a, a relaxed professional environment where it's about understanding the customer and the client and the building sort of uh, services that they're looking for or perhaps have got challenges with. Um, mm. Are there some themes, though, John? There must be only a certain amount of things that people could consider. You must see, yeah, of course, yeah. see a yeah. version of something on a regular basis reoccurring, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I think with anyone who's got a lease and they've been used to paying their rents on a quarterly basis and they've, they've been under pressure this year to, to be able to find the funds to pay their rents, a lot of our landlord clients have taken a a very flexible approach where they're able to and say let's talk about the structure of your rent where they're paying smaller amounts more frequently is easier for you or whether stretching it over a certain period is, is you know there's, there's all sorts of options that, that you know honest good landlords and most of them are will want to discuss with their occupiers because they'd rather have an occupier paying rent on slightly different terms than no occupier at all yeah, and there's not much so, they can do. The occupier goes bust and, and doesn't, you know, they're, they're in the queue with everybody else, I guess, aren't they? So it makes sense yeah. for landlords. So do you sit between yeah, two um, then, John? Do you sit between, so you're, you're the independent arbiter of, you know, landlord, tenant, trying to get them to work something out. Is that where you would would add some value as well? Sometimes, yeah. More often, though, we're, we're actually engaged by the landlord or by the tenant. If we manage a property for a landlord, then there's some interaction with, with tenants, obviously, to make sure that they're well, paying their rent, but also making sure that they're keeping the property in repair and that they're, they're not neglecting their obligations. Um, but colleagues of mine will, will analyse leases and they'll look for opportunities within a lease and go to a landlord on behalf of an occupier and say, look, can we flex it here? Can we talk about this? Can we maybe vary the terms here? You know, what's happened in the last eight months has been unprecedented. Is there any options, opportunities that we can you know, sort of re-gear the, the lease, maybe extend it for five years to give you some more surety of income, but let's have some slightly more relaxed terms now so that we can we can make sure we can still be here in five years' time. So, yeah, landlords will listen. Well, I mean, they've got a vested interest to listen, haven't they, because the portfolio they've got. A couple of quick final things then. It sounds to me as though um, certainly pension fund investors will always still, you said at the very start, they'll always love commercial property. So if we have got a pension, we can feel confident that they'll choose the right uh, sectors to invest in and that our money's safe because they've got you know actuaries and investment specialists and all that kind of thing. So we're okay with our commercial property as being part of our pension portfolio. Is that what you, you, would, you would say right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, what's happened in the last eight months has been catastrophic and, and all sorts of scales. But, 
But like, <clears throat> like we said earlier on, the opportunity within adversity isn't a new thing. Mm. We'll bounce back from this. It's going to take longer than we all thought at the start. But let's be fair, even the Prime Minister didn't know how long this was going to last. You know, nobody knew how long this was going to last. It's yeah. lasted longer than we all thought already, and it's going to carry on. You know, the recent news about vaccines has been brilliant. Let's hope it helps everybody see some light at the end of the tunnel and, and come out of this with some opportunities in, in early part of 2021. I, I can't see that it isn't. I can't see us falling back again. I think it's, it's onwards and upwards from here. Okay. And property will be right back out there. And there'll be different sectors. There'll be different elements of it that are going to prosper than have them in the past. Safe money will go with logistics. Riskier money might go with retail and, and sort of town centre regeneration. But there'll be all sorts of opportunities in between as well. Excellent. Okay. Last thing then, 2021, optimistic or more optimistic than you've been, uh, you know, for 2020? I, I guess it's, a, it's almost like a closed question, really. More optimistic for 2021, John? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 2020 started quite well. January and February were brilliant. <laughs> we, got off to, we got off to a flyer. Um, but the rest of it, it, yeah, that's history now. So I, I think everybody should be uh, encouraged and energised by what's going on in the medical world at the moment. And the peace people that are scared of taking vaccines that just baffle me. Let's all get on board. Let's get the economy back on track. When it was switched off overnight in March, it was bound to have a massive impact. And there will be casualties. But most of those jobs that have been lost, I hope, are refilled. And, and we'll just be a slightly longer journey, but we'll get back there and we'll um, we'll be able to prosper together again. Well, my view on the vaccine deniers, I'm probably going to lose half a listenership, is that they're probably going to fall off the end of the flat earth whilst looking for UFOs, because uh, they're pretty much probably the same kind of people, I would suspect. So anyway, let's finish on that and, and alienate lots of people. Um, if there's a vaccine available to end this terrible, uh, vac uh, to this terrible pandemic, I do not understand why you wouldn't be in the queue to put your arm forward to get it injected in. But hey, that's another somebody else's choice. So for those who are regular listeners, you'll know the Impact Sessions is available on all the usual podcast platforms. Uh, the videos are hosted on my uh, YouTube channel. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean and CastBox. I've put John's contact details up there, but for those who are listening, John, do you want to just read through how they get in touch with John Anderson from Lambert Smith Hampton when they've been inspired to look at their property portfolios in a more positive light? Yeah, obviously the contact details are there. Let, yeah, all the details are also on our website. Have a look, make contact. I'm more than happy to listen, help, and love to hear from anybody that's um, got any issues that they think we'll be able to help with. Okay, well, John, that's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being a guest on the Impact Sessions and uh, we'll see you again soon. Cheers, Nick. Appreciate okay. it. It's been really good. Thanks.